Ever since you can remember, you felt something in your chest telling you to move, to love, to speak, to try. Day after day, you pretend you don't hear it calling, or maybe you dismiss it as silliness or worse. But it's there, ready for you, and it will wait for you as long as you need. My name is Johnny G, and I invite you to join me on a journey of awakening as we dare to embrace our light. This is Refractive. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Refractive Podcast. Today, I have with me a dear friend, Marlon Fixico. He is a descendant on both his mother and his father's side of spiritual leaders and medicine people. He is part of the Cheyenne tribe and the Seminole tribe. How are you, Marlon? Welcome to Refractive. I'm feeling good today. Thanks, John. I am delighted that you are with us. You and I had an opportunity to visit not long ago, and you were telling me just a little bit about uh, some of your spiritual history and some interesting things that happened to you. And because Refractive is a show that's all about people kind of stepping into their most authentic selves and listening to their inner guidance and being in touch with kind of that high level knowing of what our souls want for us in life, I thought you would be a really um, a valuable guest on the show to share with listeners some of your experiences in that. And so I, I guess I'll just kind of run down a, a basic premise of the episode today, and then I'll start digging in. Does that sound okay? Sounds good. All right. So you had uh, told me when we were together uh, just a little bit about your background and how your culture had influenced your spiritual life, your spiritual journey, the awakening that you've had and, and all of that. So I would love for you to just take us through that journey for you. What was your spiritual path like? So um, as you said in the introduction, I come from a long line of spiritual leaders and medicine people. Um, I would go down the list, but it's pretty extensive. <laughs> But just suffice to say, uh, even my uh, immediate parents uh, were very spiritual and healers. Um, they uh, never like advertised that, that that's what they were. That's just who they were. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a mark of a, a true spiritual leader is you don't, they don't need to tell you that they are, you just somehow people just find out and they just know yeah and um <clears throat> so i grew up a lot with my cheyenne grandmother my mother's mother and uh in my formative years and she's the one who taught me a lot of the things that i later in life uh rediscovered so to mm -hmm. speak mm -hmm. um was spirituality something that um, in your earlier life, like when you were an adolescent, uh, were you open to kind of receiving that wisdom from your family? Uh, I would say there was a turning point when I was around 12, where I stopped caring about spiritual things. Mm -hmm. 
previous to that, uh, I used to go to, uh, in the summer times, uh, I grew up in Oklahoma City, but my grandmother lived in rural Oklahoma. And in the summer times, I would spend it with her and we would go to uh, Indian ceremonies, do a lot of camping and fishing and just out in nature a lot. And then um, go to a lot of powwows. Mm-hmm. So I was raised around spiritual ceremonies. Uh, people would come and they'd have all night prayer services at my grandmother's house. And, you know, I was a little kid. I didn't really know what was going on. I just knew they had this big breakfast in the morning, which I, I really enjoyed. Uh, I would sleep through the prayer service and wake up in time for breakfast. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I remember at one point I was about, I don't remember exactly when, seven or eight, um, first or second grade, I was I was spending the summer with my grandmother and this white lady came and she and grandma had this long talk. I didn't know what they were talking about. The next thing I knew, I was going to Sunday school. I didn't know it was Sunday school. I just got in the car with this white lady and went to this building where all these white people were. And they were talking about something called God and then after I got home that day, I asked grandmother, what, what was God? <clears throat> I said, they kept talking about God at that place. She said, well, in the Cheyenne language, the word for God, what we call God is Mahal. Mahal means um, we don't know. We don't know what it is, but it's everything. Mm-hmm. And from that point forward, it just stuck with me as a, you know, seven or eight year old kid grandma said that's what it was and that's what it was that sounds like a good word for god you know what i mean i don't know what it is it's just that (laughs) it's just everything it's everything and so um for a long time i i would hear people speaking about god and that's what was in my mind but around 12 years old 11 or 12 my father he was an alcoholic and he stopped drinking at that age, my age, and um, started going to church. And once he started going to church, he said, I couldn't go spend any more time with my grandmother because she was pagan and she was going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. So I knew that was wrong, but, you know, he was dad. So uh, I started going to a different kind of church. It was a Native American church, but it was Southern Baptist it was kind of a, a conjunction of Southern Baptist and Native American. They spoke our language, they sang our language, but um, it was basically Southern Baptist. Okay. And uh, um, so I adapted to that. And then I started adopting this idea. You know, they they talked about from time to time that, you know, men shall not play with another man. It is abomination. So, I, you know, that was like, emblazoned in my brain uh because i like men and how and old I, were you? I was i was around 11 or 12 okay yeah and uh and it, and it continued on until i left home at 18 but uh i was i struggled for all those years with my spirituality and sexuality i knew mm-hmm. that there was god i prayed to god to change me all the time mm-hmm. uh, but um you know that never happened so um i went to college 
and um, I was in love with my best friend who was straight. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened between us, but um, eventually uh, he got a girlfriend and, you know, we split up. Uh, we didn't spend as much time together. And uh, I found a woman <laughs> who was just as crazy as I was. And I told, she was the first person I told that I was gay. Yeah. And we became best friends. She didn't care. She was like, oh yeah, that's fine. It's not a big deal to me. So we stayed together for uh, like uh, six months, just hanging out and getting drunk and having fun and going to school and everything that people do in college. But uh, when time came to graduate, uh, I couldn't imagine my life without her. Mm-hmm. So uh, I told her that. And she said, well, does that mean you want to get married? <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> That's a proposal for you right there. Exactly. <laughs> so I, but I thought about it. I said, no, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, let's get married. Let's do it. And so uh, so we were married for five years. We have two kids. Mm-hmm. And then um, eventually the alcoholism took its toll on, on our relationship, on our marriage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I left her and I went to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. and became gay. No, I was already gay. But uh, I was just, it was uh, 1983 and it was at the height of the AIDS crisis. And, you know, it was just getting to be a big thing. I remember the Time Magazine came out with a big article, had the word AIDS on the front. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought I was going to die. I mean, I had those Christian upbringing that said that what I was doing was wrong. And I said, well, it's wrong. Then I'm just going to go for it. And uh, I didn't care. Uh, I I left my children, which were the most important thing to me. But then um, it was, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. And so um, I drank for about 18 years uh, I was 37 when I got sober in Washington, D.C., and um, I was at that point that I was sober for about a year, and then I started seeing things and having visions and having dreams. Yeah. And my uh, my grandmother was was she would come to me in my dreams a lot. Um, my, I had a therapist too who did um, guided meditation. Yeah. And my grandmother appeared during his guided meditation. And she was right there. I was like, okay. It was funny because he would talk to her. He would say, he would ask me a question and I, and she would answer. And so I would just tell him what she said. Yeah. Uh, but she's always been with me. She's like um, my guardian angel. Yeah. Um, and she was, uh, she's the Cheyenne. Uh, grandmother so um, on my dad's side I I traced this back to before the Seminoles were transferred from Florida Uh, and my ancestor was was the leader of the tribe at the time when they were being transferred Mm -hmm. and my uh, uh, my grandmother's uh, my father's male lineage that was him Mm -hmm. but on my grandmother on his mother's side her 
uh, ancestor was a medicine man who was partners with the leader who came. So they was like, <laughs> we have all this connection between the leaders and spiritual people. Yeah. And the Seminoles tribe really uh, have a, a lot of myths and stories about medicine people. Uh, they can control the weather. Uh, they can make love potions and they can make you sick. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, there are all kinds of stuff. Anyway, I grew up in all of this with my, my grandmother's, my mother's line. There were, uh, it, well, the biggest one, his name is Black Kettle. He was a peace chief mm -hmm. who was killed by George Custer mm -hmm. back in 1880, 1868 mm -hmm. uh, in Oklahoma. It wasn't Oklahoma yet, but um, so, uh, and then my grandfather, uh, her husband, um, he was the first leader of the uh, Native American church, which mm -hmm people know as peyote church okay and um i don't know if people know but i mean there's a lot of research being resurgent research on uh, hallucinogenics and how helpful it is especially to addicts mm -hmm. um the trouble with what happened in the 60s was that they were using it in a proper way uh mm -hmm. recreationally and it was never meant to be recreational mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, the Native American church has a very strict uh, guidelines on how to use uh, peyote mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and done in ceremony. And uh, anyway, so my grandfather was, a, he was um, on a tribal council. He was the first president of the uh, um, Native American church. And I had all these things on me Growing up, you know, in grade school, we took Oklahoma history and they talked about Black Kettle. And um, I knew he was my ancestor. Mm -hmm. But after more and more, I learned about all these people in my ancestors. It was like it was like this heavy burden. It was like, well, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. And my my mom, she wanted me to become uh, a preacher, a Seminole Baptist preacher, which I did do some preaching when I was a teenager, mm -hmm. but um, I mean, I was one of the biggest hypocrites. <laughs> so I was having sex with boys and at the same time going to church to preach. Yeah. But, um, but uh, so I, I rebelled against all of it. And so when I, by the time I uh, went to college and I started drinking, uh, it was, it was out of the, I wanted to get out from underneath of being that legacy. Yeah. I didn't want to be a spiritual person. I didn't want to be a spiritual leader. I didn't want to learn medicine. I didn't want to do any of it. And then, um, <clears throat> and then, you know, fast forward, uh, 18 years later, I uh, got sober, and all these things come to me. And uh, I don't tell this to many people, but I can see people's auras. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember when I told my therapist that, and I thought I was, you know, I had to be honest because I, you know, that's how therapy works. Yeah. And so uh, he showed me these pictures from this book by, I forgot her name, but anyway, it's called Hands of Light. And it was all about studying uh, 
supernatural phenomena. Yeah. And uh, she had pictures of people, people with auras. And I was like, exactly what I saw. And so I didn't feel so crazy after he showed me that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I would, I got sober through uh, 12-step programs mm -hmm. and the most, and the more I heard them talk about the principles of the program, the more I heard my grandmother, I mean, the things that she taught me, she didn't sit down and say, this is this and this is that. She just lived it. And then I, I watched her and, and um, so when they would talk about things, that's what my grandmother used to do. That's what my grandmother used to say. And then it's, it came little bit by little bit, it came back to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I realized that um, whether I wanted to be a spiritual person or not, I was. Yeah. I mean, we all are. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I started becoming more just open. I don't, you know, there's a lot of, I'm a, uh, in college, I studied engineering mm -hmm. and I really love physics. And there's a there's a scientific explanation for everything. Uh, oh, I can't believe you're going there. I can't believe you're going there, Marlon. Because let me tell you something. Like, okay, I, <laughs> I am just enraptured with all of these concepts of how spiritual phenomena are really manifestation or, or physics. Actually, it on this plane manifests from spiritual phenomena, right? Like the whole idea of waves and frequency and the idea of even things like surface tension. And there's just so many aspects of physics that is mirrored uh, to spiritual phenomena that we read about and that we hear about that it it blows your mind if you go down this rabbit hole. So uh, you just got me really excited when you mentioned. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, keep going, keep going. That's okay. I, you know, one of the, what you just remind me. One of the big things for me is the idea of um, what the nature of light is. You know, it's like is it a, is it a wave or is it a, a linear uh, particle? Yeah, mm -hmm. but it's like it's both, mm. and and that's what spirituality is a spiritual spiritual things are paradox it's yeah. like how can it be one thing and the other thing at the same time but it can and it is and i you know i used to share that with with my sponsees over and over again it's mm -hmm. like uh how can you be sad and happy at the same time you can there is a writing by Gary Zukav, who if people were fans of Oprah, they'll, they'll recognize Gary Zukav because he was a guest over the years many times when she had spiritual uh, topics. But he talks about how um, in this interesting situation where light is both a wave and a particle, that... Um, whether it appears as a wave or as a particle is dependent upon the intention of the observer. Um, that the way the um, experiment is designed dictates whether light appears as a particle or as a wave. 
And that this is a beautiful parallel to our lives that we are the creator, we are the architect, and that it is our intention of how we wish to view an object that causes the object to take that form. And it just, oh, I just, I love it. It gives me goosebumps. I have goosebumps right now when I let mm. myself sink into that. So I love this. And I didn't know that you had that scientific background. Yeah, it really, so, I mean, the point of that, for me is that there are there are many supernatural things that I have experienced in my lifetime mm -hmm. and um, that are seemingly unexplainable. But if you if I would have told a scientist some of the things that I experienced, they could figure out a scientific explanation. Mm -hmm. But it, to me, it doesn't matter if you can explain it or not. To me, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's everything. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, uh, I'll back, just to back up a little bit, I went, when I was uh, in college, I was, before I met my then wife, um, I was about 19, 18 or 19, I can't remember, but I had a roommate, oh, I was 19, it was my second year, and my roommate was uh, 35, which I thought was old at the time, mm -hmm. and <laughs> wow. And mm -hmm. he was from a, a reservation in Wyoming, Wind River Reservation. And um, he was an apprentice to a medicine man. And so uh, on spring break, he invited me to come to come home with him. And so I did. And we, during the week, we built three sweat lodges. Uh, he was the medicine man that he worked with. Uh, what he would, you know, Whenever somebody would need a healing or somebody was sick or somebody was in trouble. And so we would go out and have a sweat lodge at their house. Uh, one of them was actually in the mountains. It was beautiful. But uh, the third one, uh, uh, I went in and the medicine man said that he saw that I had seven spirit people that had, they told him that they, had come into the world when I was born and that they, they would be with me until the day I died. Mm -hmm. And that if I needed anything that they would, if I asked them uh, in a proper way that I would, they would help me and uh, they would do their best to protect me. Not that they, if I did some stupid things, that <laughs> my medicine man didn't say that. He said, you can <laughs> choose wrongly and you might, die i'm not saying they're going to protect you from everything but they'll protect you uh as much as they can <clears throat> and so um that wasn't great for an alcoholic because i really put them to the test well, many bet. times <laughs> but but uh the last thing was that he gave me this um it was like a root some of my friends said it was probably valerian root but i don't know i didn't ask him it was just a really really tiny piece of wood to me he told me to chew on it and then spit it in my hands and then wipe it on my face and uh he said don't do this until you're ready to go to bed and so uh my friend who i went there with was sitting right next to my bed um and i did what he said and i rubbed my face with that stuff and i laid my head down and i went right to sleep uh, next thing next thing i know i was 
I was flying in the air and I was and I was freaked out like holy moly and I started to say something and out of my mouth came this eagle scream and I was like what is that and then uh, I looked at my arms and they were wings and I could feel the wind holding me up in the air as I glided on the on the wind and I looked around and I saw a forest and I saw mountains and uh, I went and laid. I went and landed on a on a branch. It was a pine tree branch, and I could feel the weight of my body as it landed on the branch. And I grabbed it with my claws. I mean, all these little minute details I still remember to this day. And then uh, I looked in and saw these mountains. And I decided to go to the mountains. I wanted to go see how high I could go. So I started going through the mountains, and then. Beneath me, I saw a river, and I could see the sunlight rippling off the top of the little uh, waves on the on the river. Yeah. And I could see beneath the surface, and there was a salmon. <clears throat> it wasn't real big, but it was it was a good size. And I thought I could pick up that salmon. And the salmon said, uh, "Well, if you could catch me." And I said, "What? I didn't know salmon could talk." Uh, and <laughs> so the eagle could talk either. And then so uh, I said, uh, can I catch you to eat? And he said, well, if you can catch me, you can eat me. And so I went down and it was really easy. I caught it. But he started flip-flopping all over the place. And I had a good hook on him. I mean, my claws were into him. But he knocked me off balance. And I landed on a sandbar in the middle of the river. And I thought I was going to break my wing or something. But I just tumbled and with him still in my claws uh -huh. and uh, it didn't hurt. It's like, wow, that was interesting. And so then I started eating the salmon and then I could still taste how delicious it is in my mouth. I mean, to this day, I love salmon. And, um, and all of a sudden over this ridge, uh, there was a big bear and he was all growly. I want that, I want that fish. And I just looked at him and I said, I'm done, I'm full, you can have the rest. So I just, and I just took off and the bear came down and ate the rest of the fish. Yeah. And um, I flew to the mountains and I flew up higher and higher and higher. And I remember I couldn't go very, I couldn't go any higher. And I just landed on this cliff, this little ragged edge. And then I looked and I, I felt like I could see the whole world, it was like, forever i could see mm -hmm. i could see cities and fields and other mountains and and it was just it was amazing and and that's when i woke up and my my i told my friend that and um and my friend said that the the eagles are your family mm -hmm. and that uh, all the birds are your cousins your first cousins they were related to everyone all the animals but if you ever need any help what to do the the eagles will show up and they will help you and uh, i can't tell you how many times i was lost either emotionally or physically and an eagle would show up uh, wow when i buried my son uh, three eagles came over and uh, showed me the spot where i was supposed to bury him oh my and, um so um, I have a real affinity for eagles. Yeah, that's powerful.
So what, uh, being at such an early age, right? You were maybe 19 uh, when that happened. Um, did, were you ready for that to influence you in life or did that have to come back later and influence your path at a, at a later time? Mm, thanks for saying that. I forgot to tell you the last part of the message from the medicine man was you are a powerful spiritual leader and your people need you and you can start right now today but if you don't you can go the other path mm -hmm. and there's no guarantee that you'll live but if you do live you'll still be the leader that you're supposed to be but it's up to you and so uh, of course I chose the other other path <laughs> the, the party path the party path yeah and I'm familiar with that path so so yeah, it, it did and didn't. I just sort of, I tucked it away in my mind that as a way to, I don't know, it was like, I felt invincible, which is not a good thing. <laughs> it's like it made me take really stupid choices yeah, and do things that I should have done. I mean, I'm 64 years old. I came uh, into... Uh, out gay man in 1983 mm -hmm. and I don't know how many times how many people <laughs> how many men mm -hmm. I had unprotected sex with mm -hmm. and I'm HIV neg uh, HIV negative yeah so it's like all my friends that I lived with back then they're all dead yeah and uh, most of them died of AIDS and um, I don't know how I'm not okay yeah. I'm I'm not for a reason, and I accept that. So, where yeah. does that put you today? Then, like, what is your now that you have the experience of recovery to kind of clear your mind and clear your spirit, and you have these formative experiences? How did uh, how did your spirituality finally take shape? Well, I part of. Uh, part of me is missing i'll be honest i have a part of me belongs in oklahoma and mm -hmm. i i have every intention of moving back there you know before the end of the year hopefully yeah i um there's ceremonies and there's other things i just feel drawn that there's whatever part of my next journey is is, is there um but in the meantime uh i spent a lot of time in washington especially I spent 18 years of my sobriety in Washington uh, working with um, other addicts and alcoholics, you know, mostly men, mostly gay men, but there was a handful of straight people and a handful of women. And um, I, I, I just shared whatever I have with them, my sponsees. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm in Idaho, I moved back because my ex-wife was dying and my children wanted to be close to her before she passed away. Mm -hmm. And so uh, now she's gone. That's come. I want to move back to Oklahoma because she's gone. Mm -hmm. But my grandchildren are the most important thing to me. Everything that I have, I want to pass on to them yeah. so that they can pass it on. So um, uh, there's a lot of I mean, when I go back to Oklahoma, one of the things that was 
medicine people do is kind of like a priest. It's like when people are sick, you go pray for them. And when people die, you go and officiate their um, their funerals. And then, you know, people have celebrations. You become like a, a MC for their family to talk and, and keep people moving and going and, um, and just be an advisor to people who, who are seeking spiritual advice. Yeah. So that's where I feel drawn to next. Okay. Um, so does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned, speaking of kind of the, the phenomena aspect that you've experienced, you mentioned last time we talked that you had would I don't know if it's appropriate to call it a near-death experience or what, um, but yeah. you said that you went into a coma um, in a period of hospitalization in the past year, and that while you were in a coma for a period of time, you had uh, some experiences that have been formative for you. So would you tell us a little bit about how all that came about? So um, I contracted COVID at the beginning of December, and I was in a coma for, um, well... I woke up from my coma on um, December 24th, Christmas Eve. Okay. Um, and um, while I was in a coma, just before I woke up, I, and I, I did die twice. Mm -hmm. I, they took me off the ventilator and I wasn't able to breathe on my own. My heart stopped. Mm -hmm. And so they put me back on and then... They did that twice. And so the third time they said, we're going to take him off. If he doesn't make it, he doesn't make it. And so a uh, third time I kept on going. So I, I woke back up. But uh, in that last part, I don't know. I mean, I've, time is different when you're just in a dream state. Yeah. So um, I saw... It was in, I was in the hospital room where I was and I, in the hallway was a bright light coming from the end of the hallway. I couldn't mm -hmm. see the light. I just could see it was lighting up the, the walls. So did you see your body? You mean like, were you like looking down on yourself or were you as if you were laying in the bed? I was laying in the bed. Okay. I was laying in the bed and um, I could hear my parents. I was my mother first and um she told me that everything was going to be okay and that I could come with them um, and uh, they would take care of me. And, and I felt already a sense of warmth and calmness. Mm -hmm. um, my, and then I have a younger brother who's 10 years younger than me. He passed away two years ago and he was there. And he said, yeah, why don't you come and we'll have a great time. Uh, I really wanted to be with him uh, too. Yeah. And then my father, <laughs> my father being my father, it was typical of him. So he, he kind of got onto my mom. He said, quit trying to tell him what to do. He needs to make <laughs> his own, own mind. So he said, you're influencing him. And my mom said, well, yeah, I am. <clears throat> but um and she said, I want him to come with us. He's, 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 he's not doing really well. And dad said, he'll be okay. I said, What's, but it's up to him. And, he, and then he spoke to me directly. He said, son, 
if you want to come with us, you can come with us. Um, but if you don't want to come, you don't have to. It's up to you. And I thought about it for a minute, and I almost decided to go. And then, and then I remembered my two daughters, and their mother had just died a year before that. And I didn't want to put them through that. I just kept thinking, no, I can't put them through that. So I said, no, I'm going to go back. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and then <laughs> I'm back. Um, but ever since then, I, um, it's hard to describe my feelings and attitudes toward death. I could tell you that it's, I don't have any fear, but it's more than that. it's just like it's a part of breathing (laughs) dying is a part of breathing Mm -hmm. uh it just i mean you stop and uh it's okay you just stop this thing whatever we call life and then you go to the next thing whatever it is i don't know what it is but i'm not afraid of it and you know um it sounds kind of morbid but um, you know, I look forward to going when it's when it's my time. <laughs> I really look forward to it. It's like yeah. it's something something to look forward to, not to something to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. That's that's part of it too. Yeah. Would you say that? Um, would you say that you feel kind of a shifting in your mission? After that, since you kind of specifically thought of your children and maybe even grandchildren, and uh, and that's why you made the choice to come back, or is that not a part of your uh, your math right now? I I don't really think it is. Uh, I was reading an article about different types of people. We talk about that in the program. Uh, there, you know, there's all kinds of people with different sort of personality traits, and I'm the type of person who is a very uh, spontaneous. Uh, I don't like to make plans, uh, and you know, I don't mind having a goal, something to work towards, but it's got to be very big. <laughs> it can't be like concrete because it feels like. You know, it's like if I make a plan to make, you know, a hundred million dollars and that's one thing. If I make a hundred thousand dollars, walk, wow, I made a hundred thousand dollars. Uh and I didn't even make a hundred million dollars. I don't care. But yeah. I was it's like it it's more of a what I call in math vector. It's like it's a direction to mm-hmm. go. It's not something that I uh want to necessarily achieve. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so having all this, this uh, near-death experience, um, it just sort of uh, reinforces that, you know, life is short. I don't know what's going to happen around the corner. I'm going to wake up in the morning. And my biggest experience I could share with people is that in the moment that I'm living is the moment that I know what I'm supposed to do next. Yes. Oh, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> keep so it's like it's never failed me. I mean, there's many, many, many times when I was leading a meeting, or or uh, one time I, when I was in college, we I was a part of what's called American Indian Science and Engineering Society, 
And we always have a ceremony at the beginning of the annual conference and at the end of the annual conference. And there was a Navajo uh, student who was my, where we had co-leaders. Uh, and so at the very last uh, session, uh, we decided to put together, well, I brought a shell with, with some cedar and she bought a bowl of water. The Navajos have this water ceremony and we have the sage uh, uh, cedar ceremony. So um, I brought the cedar and she brought the water and people, whoever wanted to share would come up to the center of the room and there must've been like three, 400 people in that room. And it was the middle of a ballroom and we, sit, we were sitting in the center and they would come to the middle and we would, I would uh, uh, smudge them and she would sprinkle uh, some water on them and then, and then they would share. Um, afterwards, there was a man who said, uh, how did you guys come up with that ceremony? And we thought of it about 30 minutes before the session. We just put it together at the last second. And I had the, had the shell and the cedar, and she had she just took a bowl from the from the hotel, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, we said we didn't know, we just did it. And he said that you have all the elements of uh, church. It was this, there was a smoke, uh, what we call incense, mm -hmm. and 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 then there was the water uh, for like a baptism, and uh, we didn't even think of it that way. We just. Yeah. We just did it, but that whole experience is—I mean, I—I I, I remember hearing the people talk, and it was like very deep and very moving, and very powerful. Um, and um, I knew that we were doing the right thing, but I didn't know what we were going to do before we did it. And and that's has always stuck with me. Like whenever, you know, my sponsees would say, well, somebody who's sponsoring other people would say, I'm supposed to go talk to this new new person and they want me to be their sponsor, but I don't know what, what should I say to them? I said, don't, don't plan on it. Just, just go up and show up. You'll figure it out when, yeah. when they start talking, you'll know what that, what to say. That's right. And it has always worked for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, the answer is in the stillness, right? Like, that's what I believe that uh, you have everything you could ever need to know inside you if you're just brave enough to go in and look for it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Answers in the stillness. Yeah. Let me ask you, uh, as we kind of ramp down towards the end of the episode, I, I realized when you and I were sitting together that I have such a lack of knowledge around... Um, uh, well, I mean, Native American culture in general, but like, especially what interests me at this point in my life is Native American spirituality. And so um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question and you may not be prepared to answer this. So please feel free. Uh, but do you have any resources that you might recommend if uh, there is a listener who's interested in learning more about uh, understanding that there are dozens and dozens and dozens of different uh, perspectives within just the American, Native American spirituality, right? But do you have any resources that you'd recommend for people who want to learn more about some of those unique journeys? Yeah, I get to ask this question from time to time. And um, my response is that wherever you are, whoever is hearing this 
as we're talking on this podcast, wherever you are, there is a resource. Um, and if your heart is, I don't want to say true or sure, I'm sure it is, but if it's a really meant for you to be, you will find what you need to find. You know, the old teacher, I mean, the old thing is like when this, um, the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah. And that's basically how it works. Uh, every, you know, tribe, uh, different parts of the country are different. Yeah. And uh, if you're meant to, if you see someone, someplace who looks native and you feel drawn to them, just go up to them and introduce yourself. Say hello mm -hmm. and, and just become friends with them. And then listen, get to know them. Don't jump in first and say, well, I want to learn about native spirituality. Because, you know, there's a lot of what we call um, wannabe Indians and uh, new age Indians, mm -hmm. which we get, it's a big turnoff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so if you're real sincere about it, then get to know one-on-one -on -one a person. And I would say pray first, because once you put it into the universe, uh, the universe will respond. Mm -hmm. and it'll connect you with the right person that you're meant to be taught by the things you need to know. Yeah. And um, because, I mean, there's all kinds of, I mean, you can go and find books on Native American spirituality. I mean, just go on Amazon and do that. But it's all words. Yeah. And it's more than just words or knowledge. It's experience. It's, it's a one-on-one -on -one experience with other human beings. Yeah. And that's what you're really asking is for that connection to something you'd feel drawn to. I, I, I meet people all the time who feel drawn to Native American culture. And um, I watch them. I watch them actually, you know, go and go to a powwow, go to a sweat lodge, go to a Sundance, make friends with other Native people, and uh, they achieve what they want to achieve. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of work to be done. We'll gladly have you if your heart is in the right place. Yeah. Yeah, that's very rich. Good. Thank you, Marlon. I'm so grateful that you uh, uh, came and shared some of your experiences with us today and, and opened, opened the, 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 just opened the book of Marlon up a little bit for, <laughs> <laughs> for us to read a few lines. And uh, yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you, uh, if, if any listeners have any questions, uh, just email them to me, Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-Y at refractivecoaching.com. And I can get them to Marlon and get you an answer. And uh, yeah, so with that, Marlon, I just want to, again, say thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, I will say, uh, I don't know if it's jumping over you, but um, I'm on Facebook. So Marlon Fixico, just do a search for Marlon Fixico, you'll find me. I've been on there for many, many years. Okay, perfect. I will link that on the uh, podcast notes then for anyone who opens their app and sees that. Perfect. All right, my friend. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. I'm sending you so much love and light. And, uh, you know, as always, everyone, remember to be good to each other and aim your light. Take care. You have been listening to Refractive Podcast, and this is Johnny G. If you've enjoyed today's episode, do me a favor, give it a share on social media, or if you're in the podcast app, 
give it a rating. If you're on YouTube, click like. It really does make a difference in the search results. I am a speaker, coach, and facilitator based in Washington, DC, but I work in person and remotely with people who are ready to step with clarity into their most authentic life. If I can be of service, reach out to me, Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-Y at refractivecoaching.com. Have an amazing day. Be good to each other. And always remember, aim your light.